Triple H FM Sports in association with Atlas Chartered Accountants. The Post, Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports welcomes you to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. And now here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, The Post, The Hornsby, RSL, ISC Sport and Business Plaza. Anthony Bull Caruso back with you for another episode of Splinters. And it is that time of the year to wrap up the biggest football competition in the world. Yes, the English Premier League has been officially run and won. And we are going to take the ruler over what happened during the course of the competition and give our world-famous report card ratings. Of course, whenever we talk football, we need to have our chief football correspondent. And I could think of no better then the man himself, the spicy chorizo, Dom Rizzuto. Good evening to you. And you are very excited because you're going to get on a plane trip very soon over there. That is very true, Caruso. And good evening to you and good evening to all the listeners out there. Yes, the football has wrapped up. So by the time I get there, it will be done and dusted. But what a season we've just had in the English Premier League. It has been fantastic once again. We haven't had, again, another season like this in quite some time where it was to and fro, back and forth, and on that final day, only two matches being a a non-event, a friendly, so to speak, in the world of football. We are we are well and ready to go through these because, of course, there were a few heartbreaks to it. It was a fierce competition all the way through, and I think it's shown that the football in the Premier League has sort of gone to another level because we're seeing competition right down through the ladder. Yeah, it's it's becoming the hardest match to win. I mean, hardest competition, I should say, to win in the world, more and more so with the money injection. We've spoken about that on numerous occasions in regards to how competitive this league is now. And, you know, despite the clear runaway leaders, it was pretty bottleneck from top to bottom and had fans uh, on the edge of their seats uh, right till the final day. Well, let's get through it because we've got a lot to get through tonight. 20 teams. We're going to be running the rule over. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get straight into it. The referee out in the centre now, and the whistle's about to blow on for time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. And we're going to kick things off here tonight with our first team in alphabetical order. It is Arsenal, we predicted them to finish 10th. They ended up finishing 5th, and straight off the bat, I gave them a B-dom, and I thought the best thing that they managed to do this year was actually finally settle the situation up front by selling Young. Well, it was a difficult uh, transfer, wasn't it? Transfer window for, for Arsenal. Obviously, their star man and their captain in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has not been living up to the, uh, his lofty standards in North London and then was subsequently sold to Barcelona following some pretty poor uh, disciplinary reasons and sort of toxic behaviour amongst the playing ranks because of his uh, attitude towards the club. 
it would have been difficult for Arsenal fans to watch him play extremely well for Barcelona when he eventually arrived um, in Spain. But it actually, despite the the fact of him leaving, it actually kind of propelled them to finish really strongly in the end, uh, the Gunners. Um, Arteta focusing on a youthful product, which ended up being very successful. And considering the start of the year they had, he did amazing work to get him into fifth in the end and realistically bottled it in the final two weeks of the season um, in the end, which was really disappointing for his uh, young outfit, which was almost back playing Champions League football again. I gave him an A-. minus. I think uh, with the youngest squad in the Premier League this season, they did a marvellous job. They played enterprise football. They got their... I suppose their so-called philosophy of football back, and Arteta clearly has an image and a, a, of where he wants the club to be and the football that they want to play. And I'm excited to see what they can do next season and see if this squad, with uh, extra year of experience under its belt, can challenge potentially for a title in 2022 and 2023. A couple of rumours in terms of transfers for next year. The ones that everyone is talking about in particular are the two talked about transfers from Manchester City being Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling. How realistic are these? Look, I don't think um, the Gabriel Jesus one is particularly um, unlikely. That's probably the most likable signing uh, that you'll get on this list so far. I think he's going to struggle for minutes with obviously the impending arrival of Erling Haaland at Manchester City, meaning that he's probably going to be stuck for minutes, you know, and he has to to play a little bit uh, on the right-hand side in Pep Guardiola's system. I'm sure he'd love to go back to playing as the lead number nine. And within an Arsenal team, he could be very, very deadly um, for them up front. And it's probably something that they are lacking at the moment after losing um, Abemiang and Alexander Lacazette, just getting that uh, year older. And then after that, who knows... Um, what might happen if they lose Eddie Nketiah, who's an excellent front man. I'd be happy to give him the keys to the mansion. If uh, I was the Arsenal coach, he was in exceptional form towards the back end of the season. Um, so I'm not too sure what will happen there. You'd expect William Saliba will come back to the club following his loan move. And I'm not too sure uh, what else you might look at it. I'd highly unlike that Dominic Calvert-Lewin would come leave Everton, uh, considering they did survive. And, well, who knows what's happening with Raheem Sterling um, at Manchester City. Sometimes he's going, sometimes he isn't. Who knows? Let's move on to Aston Villa. Predicted to finish 11th, finished 14th, but it has to be said, uh, very much within that bottleneck where a couple of results would have resulted in finishing there or higher. I gave them a C plus. They had a poor second half of the season, I thought, but they actually finished quite well. And their form under Steven Gerrard it looks to be improving. Yeah, look, it was a tough uh, kind of season for Villa because after surviving in the Premier League and and then losing Jack Grealish to Manchester City and they invested and put a lot of money into into the Dean Smith squad to uh, replace Jack Grealish. All those signings, Danny Ings, Leon Bailey and Emmy Brendia, all I would suggest didn't really live up to the potential that I think that the club was hoping for. Uh, and in particular, finding a way to put them all three of them together on the pitch with the existing team was difficult to do. Yes, you saw some bright sparks from Danny Ings and, and Emmy Brendier in patches. Leon Bailey was injured throughout the entire season. So by the time, you know, Stephen Gerrard had come in, 
the season was kind of thrown out the window for Aston Villa and it was a matter of just getting some points on the board and, and just getting through the season. They did improve under Steven Gerrard. There seemed to be a robustness to the squad that wasn't there when Dean Smith was in charge. Did they play better football under Steven Gerrard? Eh, I'm not so sure. But did they play with more energy and more commitment? Absolutely. Most exciting thing for Villa this season is the signings that they made in the in the in the windows. They've been making some great moves, obviously, in the summer window that's just opened up and in during that winter season when they brought in uh Philippe Coutinho um over from Barcelona on loan, which has now been made a permanent deal. They got to eleventh, probably should have finished higher. They lost some games pretty poorly, including obviously that uh, infamous game at the end of the season against Manchester City, which could have seen Liverpool crown champions. They'll come back stronger next year, you would think. They're a club that's uh, got some lofty ambitions, but the season was very much a let's just get it over with as soon as possible and start again. We then move on to Brentford. It was predicted they would finish 16th and just survive. They did a bit better than that and finished 13th. And it has to be said, their big, um, the big success story, they had one of the best home records in the Premier League this year. Great season for Brentford. Um, you know, in the end, they did they did really, really well to stay up. They have that interesting sort of money ball philosophy um, into around their player recruitment meaning that they don't have a team full of studded stars. Obviously, um, they were everyone, like, I guess, second favourite team this year, especially after they brought um, Christian Eriksen in on loan during the winter transfer window, which was obviously a little bit of a wholesome story, being that he was, you know, six months prior, almost, you know, on life support, essentially after following his cardiac arrest during the Euros. He came back and actually played a pivotal role in their survival as they had a really nice late flourish. I'd be interested to see how they go next year, though, because I have a, and I don't want this to happen, but I have this inkling that we may be seeing a repeat of what happened to Sheffield United, where they came in with a squad full of ambition and they were excited to be playing in the Premier League and they really held their own weight. Then sides became accustomed to them in the second year and didn't give them the same level of respect or let's say the level of complacency that they had in that first season. So I just want to make sure that Brentford do invest in the squad and they do uh, provide more. But uh, a really decent season for them. They finished 16th. You went with B+. I'm going with B+. I think they probably could have done a little bit better considering the start that they had to the season. And they sort of fell away in that in that one part of the season where it almost looked like they were going to go straight back down to the championship. But they did uh, hold on well to their position in the Premier League. But they're going to need to invest in some some quality next season, that's for sure. We then move on to Brighton and Hove Albion, the original prediction of 15th and of finishing 9th. And um, you're going to be surprised with this, Dom. I have lambasted. Brighton and Hove Albion, not because they're just because they're a South Coast club, but like you, you know, we're sick of the footballing hipsters going on about Graham Potter and the job he'd been doing there. Well, it finally came to fruition. They finished ninth. I have to give credit where credit's due. I've given them an A minus. Yeah, an excellent uh, season for Brighton, and at one point were um, right in the Champions League very on in, in the season. B plus for mine. Graham Potter, I think, is one of the most underrated managers in the competition, and he plays a really nice style with Brighton. If they invested in, I would say, some quality up front, this wouldn't be an, uh, a finish where they would be. They would be finishing in ninth uh, come the end of the season. They'd they would be in actually, Europe. They'd be in Europe. I, I, that is, I genuinely have that belief. The way that they they play football, they've got a solid defence. They've got a hardworking midfield. 
they just haven't got a they've got some quality up front. They've got the likes of Neil Morpay and you know Danny Welbeck chips them a goal here and there, but they need a striker and they need a ten. Gary McAllister, um, uh, McAllister, sorry, hasn't been good uh, enough for them in you know in in areas, and he's he's been lackluster. Adam Lallana um, has been Adam hasn't even played this season. Yeah. Pascal Groves has come back and chipped in with some key goals at the end of the season, but he's been in and out of the team in particular. They're just struggling for that clinical uh, execution up front. And if they get that into the squad next year, then they I really think Brighton could Brighton could go places. But yeah, I, they've got as you mentioned, they've, as I mentioned, they've got the second best defense. If anyone outside the, those top three teams uh, in the Premier League this season, but they also finished the season with I think something like twelve draws to their name. So um, work to be done for for them if they want to push on to Europe. But for a team that again that doesn't invest heavily in the squad. Ninth is a fantastic effort. We then move on to the first of the teams to get relegated. It is Burnley. I gave them a D minus after predicting 17th. They did finish 18th. And look, you would think any team that gets relegated deserves an S. If I gave them a D minus because I expected them to get relegated. It's exactly what happened. They performed pretty much exactly as I thought they would. And the only person that's really who's really celebrating the fact that Burnley's going down is uh, some former member of the Triple H sports team who supports a team, a rival team from the other side of the street in Lancashire. Yeah, exactly right. Um Dabolsky jumping with joy that Burnley finally are back in the championship alongside his uh, beloved Blackburn. That being said, a D minus for me as well, uh, Caruso. I think... That being said is because of the fact that they probably should have been relegated like five years ago. Yeah. This squad has been drastically overachieving for a very, very long time. And finally, I think that caught up with them. We said it every year. I've said it every year. People said it every year. This squad needs investment. It's not going to survive. And it defies the odds year in, year out. Sean Dyche did a marvelous, marvelous job to get him to where they were in the Premier League each and every year. However, they finally buckled. They sold Chris Wood, who was their main goal scorer, to Newcastle. They sacked Sean Dyche after a a run of bad form and put in a temporary manager alongside uh, club captain Ben Mee as a a player-slash-manager. I mean, that's the sort of stuff you see in, you know, League 1 and 2. Right, this is not something you see in the Premier League. There looked like a moment where they might survive, but a couple of key losses in the back end of the season, coupled with a resurgence from Everton and Leeds, just didn't time well for them. And they obviously finished in that final place that sees them go back down into the Premier League. I have worries for Burnley. The squad had no investment in the Premier League. I doubt it's going to get too much investment in the championship. And we all know if you want to come into the Premier League, you're going to need investment into a squad. And they're going to lose a lot of key players. They're going to lose probably maybe Dwight McNeil. They might lose Nick Pope. They'll lose most likely James Tarkovsky, who's been trying to get out of the club for some time. Who knows where um, they all might end up. But, yeah, sad times if you're a Burnley supporter. But, by God, I think you should be grateful that they remained in the Premier League for so long. Well, a couple of rumours in regards to that uh, that we can confirm at this point is that the rumour is of James Tarkovsky going to Aston Villa 
and Nick Pope looking at either West Ham United or Fulham. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, both of those clubs will be chomping at the bit to get Nick Pope, considering that he was rate, ended up being rated one of the best goalkeepers from last season. It'd be interesting to see where James Tarkovsky goes. I don't know if Villa's the right destination for him. Aston Villa did just bring in Diego Carlos from uh, Sevilla to uh, centre-back, so they're pretty stocked in the centre-half department now, Villa alongside Tyro Mings and Esri Konsa, who is injured. You've got Callum Chambers, Courtney Hawes, you know, it'd be difficult to slot in another, you know, starting 11 centre-back into that squad. Nick Pope, well, look, I think he's an excellent keeper, um, incredibly underrated and was a perfect addition to the Burnley team. He could go anywhere. West Ham, obviously, um, have Lucas Fabianski in charge at the back, but he's getting on a little bit. Fulham, well, look, they're coming into the Premier League this year again. Um, whether or not they can stay there is a different story altogether, but they'll obviously want a Premier League proven goalkeeper, which can make all the difference. So he will have no, uh, sh- I would say, shortage of suitors um, when he does a hand in his transfer request at Burnley. But again, a lot of these players will have contracts, so they may even have to see it out in the championship. But I'd be surprised if they managed to keep any of their Premier League quality players in the championship for that long. Let's move on to Chelsea. We predicted them to finish fourth. They finished third. So pretty accurate prediction from our side, which is unlike Triple H Sports in terms of a prediction. We actually got one pretty close. And for mine, I gave them an A minus. You gave them a B though. Uh, and this is a this is going to be a really interesting one to discuss because a lot of things went right for them and a lot of things really went wrong. Yeah, well, I mean <laughs> Difficult one for Chelsea this year, obviously. Their season drastically halted by the war in the Ukraine and the English government freezing, um, well, still current owner, Roman Abramovich's assets in the UK, forcing him into the sale of the club. They sort of just moseyed on through to the rest of the season, being that they probably weren't good enough to go toe-to-toe with Liverpool and Chelsea, but were good enough to hold off the chasing pack in Arsenal, Tottenham, United and and West Ham. They've got a really difficult, uh, good squad. I think a lot of the challenges as well came with, uh, unsurprisingly, the re-signing of Romelu Lukaku. Clearly didn't fit again into the Thomas Tuchel system. They had proven players there who could have probably done the job. In Like, example, Tammy Abraham, who went on to have a fantastic season in in Italy and also won a, a European trophy as well. Um, it was a bit of a hit and miss season for the Blues and, you know, we're unlucky not to go a bit further in the Champions League, uh, losing to obviously eventual winners Real Madrid on their um, incredible run to the um, final. However, they still finished third. They still go back to the Champions League. Pretty solid, solid outing from them once again in 2021 and 2022 and, I see no reason then to give him a report card of A. The a couple of questions around the a couple of transfers that are being discussed in particular, and it's more the players who might be leaving the club. And the two names that have come up in particular, Jorginho to Juventus and Nagolo Kante to Manchester United. Yeah, I don't know about that yet. That'll be a, a very interesting um, couple of moves. I would highly doubt 
Chelsea would sell Conte to Manchester United. That's just uh, United sell to your direct rivals in the Premier League. That's for sure. Jorginho to Jorginho to Juventus does make sense in in that set in that uh, conversation, but again, difficult. I think he's become sort of the uh, bread and butter of that Chelsea squad in recent seasons, and it'd be difficult to see him go. We then move on to the south side of London to further on, actually, I should say, to Crystal Palace. We predicted them after what they've been through the last couple of years. We thought it was done. We thought it was all over <laughs> Crystal Palace. We said they were going to finish 19th. They were going to get relegated. Patrick Vieira, take a bow. Well, he did an excellent job, and it was off the back of bringing in some key players. Conor Gallagher um, unearthing himself as a star uh, in that team. Defensively, they were fantastic. He went with youth and athleticism. Vieira already got the job done. Didn't have the quality up front. I think they'd be upset that the likes of Jordan Ayew, Edouard, um, uh, Odusun, and um, a couple of their other key men up front didn't fire on all cylinders uh, when they needed to. Wilfred Zahar, again, was uh, a standout. They've definitely got some and uh, quality uh, in and around that uh, 18-yard box, but just that poacher up front uh, isn't there for them at the moment. But... The shift from all the managers they've had previously, uh, Crystal Palace, which are sort of hard-nosed English managers that play box to play box to box, full on one hundred percent of the time, in terms of the movement uh, and 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 direct football, to a more pragmatic passing style under Patrick Vieira. Um, the shift was always going to be a difficult change, but he did a marvellous job um, with this squad. And to have them end up finishing 12th is is, is a pretty decent uh, uh, season to uh, to build upon for the future. And uh, for me, I think a B uh, is where they sort of fell in, in terms of the category of rewards. We then move on to Everton, who we predicted 7th, and they were going to be highly competitive. But if you want to talk about train wrecks, here it is, and very lucky to survive in the last week of the competition. Yeah, they were they were awful this season, Everton. I mean, it started off obviously at with at very difficult for them because they lost Carlos Ancelotti to Real Madrid, and he always loved Everton, Carlo Ancelotti. But Real Madrid called. He went on to obviously win a Liga and another Champions League and become the most decorated European football manager of all time, um, which was uh, obviously a good move for him. But poor old Everton never recovered. They replaced him with Rafa Benitez. It was a poor, poor um, appointment at the time. Obviously, with his ties to um, Liverpool, uh, when he obviously brought um, them a, uh, a raft of success, they had the... Um, incorrect style of play and he brought in some I would say some budget signings that you know set the world alight for maybe two weeks and then they just fell in a heap they lost Dominic Cavalier for a long time so the talismanic striker um, disappeared so the goals disappeared and then after that they could just never recover they obviously then uh, replaced him with Frank Lampard and Frank Lampard who had honestly not a good season they got they they survived, but it was not a good season for Frank Lampard in charge. His career could have been almost over um, if he hadn't uh, managed to steer them uh, just towards safety in the end. But a really really difficult uh, uh, season for them, and finishing very very poorly and only just surviving. It would have been quite incredible um, had they eventually ended up getting 
relegated. But, you know, fortunately for Toffees fans, that wasn't the case. Dominic Calvert-Lewin did return at the right time and scored a couple of key goals to get them over the line and, and pretty much put them into safety. Uh, a key win, obviously, being um, a match where they beat Chelsea uh, on the road, um, which was just was quite incredible um, <laughs> considering where they were at the time. They'll rebuild from this Everton. They've learned a lot of lessons, but I tell you what, uh, I, I, if I was an Evertonian, I would be, I'd be breathing still quite heavily because I have no idea what the future holds for them in terms of where the club is going to be going in the future. I gave them a D minus, and the worst thing about it for this their situation at the moment is when you breed a culture like this, it's difficult to encourage players to come join the club, and if anything, you're going to drive players away. And there's discussions about. What's going to happen with the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Ben Godfrey, Anthony Gordon, Richarlison, and Jordan Pickford? Look, they, they'll keep him, fortunately. But, uh, yeah, geez, it would have been a pretty tough uh, um, uh, life after Premier League had Everton been relegated in terms of that squad that they have because they've got some good players. Louis, then move on to Leeds United. And after the season that they had previously playing Bielsa Ball in the Premier League, finishing brilliantly. We predicted them to kick on and finish sixth. And I'll tell you what, the second-year syndrome really hit home and they survived on the last day, finishing 17th. Yeah, another really disappointing um, uh, season for a club that we expected to do a lot better. And um, look, I have to say something about Leeds United and their sort of disappointing season. I think that they really need to put an apology in to Karen Carney from back in 2020. Now, Karen Carney, if you don't know who Karen Carney is, folks, Karen Carney is a former English player who's become a English pundit, English football pundit on Sky Sports and BN Sports or whatever. I'm not too sure which one it was. However, one of the things she did say back in 2019 when the Leeds came into the Premier League was that they got promoted because COVID gave them a good period of time when the season was halted to rest and recuperate because seasons before they always got to the final hurdle and then they fell over because the style of play in which Beasley played with the squad was really high impact and really high pace and it often would tire them out come the end of the season. They came into the, she said that in their their season and Leeds officials actually attacked her personally on all social media. She was hounded. She was, uh, uh, attacked grossly by all the fans about how you could say that you're so wrong you don't know what you're talking about blah 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 let's fast forward 12 months they were the worst squad one of the worst squads in the Premier League they sacked Beesler because guess what that style of play doesn't work every week it can be the most exciting football to watch on the planet but as teams start to remember how you and, and get accustomed to it they had no plan B they never had a plan B they lost players to injury um, like Calvin Phillips, Patrick Bamford, Max Harrison throughout the season, and they got screwed over by it. They sacked him and they obviously replaced him, uh, Marco Beisler, and with Jesse Marsh, who did the job that he was brought in to do, which was to uh, keep them in the Premier League. But by God, did they do it in an ugly fashion. And really, it was a, a, a last-minute, 92nd-minute header uh, which kept them in the Premier League, which got uh, secured them an important draw, you know, before the penultimate day, and then obviously they did get that win um, to finish the season. But I tell you what, they I owe an apology to Karen Carney, and they uh, because by God, their club just went from being so self-absorbed in the way that they were bouncing back into the Premier League to 
literally hanging on by the skin of their teeth. A D minus for mine, and I honestly can't see anything good happening during the transfer window apart from the nope. rumour that they could lose Calvin Phillips. Well, they could lose Calvin Phillips. They will almost certainly lose Rafinha. There's no doubt about that. Um, if he doesn't go to a better team, I will be shocked because he is quality and he should be playing in some of the best teams in the world. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break and when we come back, we'll have the second half of our wrap of the 2021-22 English Premier League. You are listening to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We'll be right back. It's time for the crew to catch their breath. We'll be back after this short break. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Hornsbyara Cell Club, your perfect place to catch up with friends and family. With dining options ranging from modern Australian favourites in the courtyard, authentic Asian cuisine from Keku, or delicious wood-fired pizzas from Level 1, there is something for everyone to enjoy. Join us weekly for entertainment activities such as trivia, meat raffles, bingo and free live music, or grab some tickets to see one of our first-class entertainment acts in the showroom. Thinking of holding an event? Let our friendly events team guide you through every step to create the perfect event for any occasion. Visit our website at hornsbrsl.com.au for further details. Hornsby RSL Club, proud sponsors of Triple H. Want to look your sporting best on and off the field? Then make sure you get kitted out with ISC Sport Teamwear. ISC Sport are Australia's leading name in custom sports uniforms with a wide range of sportswear tailored to your team's needs. 100% Australian-owned and fully customisable, ISC Sport cover all four winter codes and cricket, basketball, netball and hockey, as well as training and outerwear, ensuring you look the part when representing your community. As Dom Rizzuto would say, look sharp and play pretty with ISC Sport. Visit their website, iscsport.com, for more information. ISC Sport, official clothing partners of Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Bowling is back in Hornsby. The Attic offers a 10-pin bowling experience like no other with Australia's first ever augmented reality scoring experience that will take your game to a whole new level. With a selection of traditional and custom-built arcade games, the Attic Entertainment Precinct is complete with a bar and lounge area to keep you entertained for hours. Specialising in kids' parties and celebrations, the Attic at Hornsby RSL Club is perfect for your next special event. Whether it be an afternoon out with the kids or a night out with friends, it will be an unforgettable occasion that will bowl you and your guests over. Visit our website, theattichornsby.com.au for more information. The Attic, proud sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. 
Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, The Post, The Hornsby RSL, ISC Sports, and Business Plaza. Anthony the Bull Caruso with the spicy chorizo Dom Rizzuto as we wrap up season 2021-22 of the English Premier League. We move on now to team number 10 in alphabetical order. It is Nesta City, who we predicted to finish fifth, ended up finishing eighth. And for mine, I thought this is a team that I think is renewing itself too slowly. It has finally caught up with them, and I gave them, Dom, a C. You know what, though? Leicester were... were criticised throughout this season for not performing to expectation and not really um, playing a brand of football that had set the world alight a few couple of seasons ago where they just missed out on Champions League progression, but they still finished eighth. Like, that's not a bad season for a squad that once again invested no money into itself Like and just stayed tried and true, relied, relied on Jamie Vardy. The, James Madison looked like he was getting back to his best in patches. Everyone was like, oh, so disappointing that Leicester finished so low. And I'm like, but they finished eighth. Like, that's a good season. They finished eighth. Like, you look at the teams above them and you look at the investment that at least four or five of those teams have put into the squad. The only team that finished above them that you would think probably Leicester should be getting close to is West Ham. The rest of them are all the top six, the top five. So... Really, I'm, I I would be pretty happy if I was a Leicester fan. I, I mean, I think a B would be, I think a fair re, a report card for them. I, I'm I'm shocked when you when someone when I saw that they'd finished eighth. I was like, really? Because I also I thought they had a bad season too. But when you look at it that way, well, I mean, what's the problem? <laughs> for mind, uh, I think what hurt them the most was that they lost Wesley Fofana, who's an excellent defender. Yes. Uh, they then spent massive money. The, the only big spent buy they did was to buy Yannick Vestergaard from Southampton, and he ended up being an absolute flop. Absolute flop. And I think that was a big thing that obviously will cripple them this season looking back on it was their inability to defend from set pieces, and that's why they bought in Vestergaard, someone who's, you know, six foot seven, can, you know, make sure he's not going to get beaten in the air. And it still didn't work for them. They, I think they conceded some atrocious amount of goals from set pieces, goals that you shouldn't be conceding, always from corners in particular as well, uh, something that Brendan Rodgers will have to address big time in the off-season because if you took away all those goals that were conceded via set pieces, Leicester picked up some valuable points uh, and could have finished in the, the, the top six this season. But wasn't to be for them. We then move on to Liverpool. We predicted them to finish second, and that's exactly where they finished in second <laughs> place. Uh, so look, we got one right, but I don't think it was that hard to pick that they were going to finish second this year. And to be honest, everything that went wrong for them was stuff that was almost completely out of their control. In terms of what they could control, they did absolutely nothing wrong. You couldn't really do anything else, could you, from a Liverpool point of view? They had a bit of a tough patch where they couldn't quite get uh, the results that they needed, in particular a couple of results against Spurs. Um, but Spurs ended up taking it to Manchester City in patches too. So um, it wasn't really an excuse either for them. Once again, they fell just shy of Manchester City. Uh, 
Jurgen Klopp's football against Manchester City is fantastic, but there's still ability for teams to sit back and defend against Jurgen Klopp's team, and that happened a couple of times, and it saw them uh, concede a couple of points uh, when they probably wanted the the full um, uh, a company three points with what with what comes, which is what comes with a victory. You know, there's not much really much they they really could have could have done. Uh, maybe picked up a couple of points uh, here and there. Look, a lot of this also, again, with their season, Manchester City made it closer than it needed to be. Let's be straight here. They were miles ahead at Christmas time, Manchester City, and they somehow managed to flop it all the way down to the final day of the season again, almost like it was scripted to happen. Really, this should have never have been this close. So realistically, Liverpool, you know, didn't have that great a season. They were vastly inferior to Manchester City in, in most ways, but they got close again. And in some respects, you would have preferred that Manchester City did kick on because what's worse, losing by 20 points and being absolutely outplayed or losing by one on the final day? Absolutely. A couple of interesting transfer rooms that are going around. Devok Origi, probably the most fascinating one to AC Milan, along with possibly Sadio Mane to Bayern Munich. But I just don't see either of them happening really. Well, Divock Origi will go. There's uh, no doubt about that. Um, he hasn't been able to play um, and and get more game time in this uh, Liverpool squad. Sadio Mane, I think, also a, an interesting anomaly as to what they do with with him. You'd think that he would stay, but you know, Bayern Munich is a difficult to, team to turn down that's for sure and he would he'd have a starting role in that squad there's no doubt about it you know in a, you know in a, in a in a great city you know you know at a great club it'd be difficult to it'd be difficult to say no to them but it'll take some it'll take some cash to prime away from liverpool that's for sure we then move on to the premiers manchester city predicted to finish first they did finish first they did it they had to do it the hard way considering how much they almost bottled it in the second half of the season and uh, once again, everyone is talking about the sheer class of Kevin De Bruyne. But I think there was one player, I think, who was an absolute flop this year, and he turned in there with much fanfare. Jack Grealish looks second rate at Manchester City. One of the arguments I saw from a ex-player, Paul Merson. Um, oh, the person. The person. <laughs> the person, Paul Merson. Did something, uh, said something, you know, I don't usually agree with what Paul Merson says. He's a... Uh, He's a very much a shock jockey kind of pundit um, when it comes to um, his views on certain topics in the Premier League. But one thing he did sort of make a good point about when it came to Jack Grealish was is that Jack Grealish had come from a club where he was the star man, was the star man. He kept Villa in the Premier League. He brought Villa into the Premier League and could run the show himself. There was none of this like, um, you know, the team, you know, play for the team and all that kind of stuff. It was the Jack Grealish team. It was Jack Grealish and his team. He was the captain. He was the boyhood, um, you know, player, all that kind of stuff. He comes to Manchester City under Pep Guardiola, who's never been about that. Even with Lionel Messi in the team, he always had a team that played as under his way. And you sort of kind of nullify... Jack Grealish's one, I would say, attribute, which is his ability to win games on his own. Because he, you know, he can't be, you know, 
running at teams and trying to take on five players because Pep Guardiola is shouting at him to go, no, pass it back. Let's let, let, let let's let's unpick a team like a key unpicking a lock. And he just didn't, I don't think, sits into the system. I don't think he had a bad season. He scored a couple of good goals. Um, he, he, he definitely is, a, I would say, a weapon to have late in games, you know, especially in those crucial matches. He can take players on. But is he better suited to another team? Possibly. But he said he wanted to go to the Manchester City, play a Champions League, win a Premier League title, and, you know, credit to him. He's done that. A couple of the rumours we've already mentioned about Gabriel Jesus possibly leaving to Tottenham Hotspur or Arsenal. Uh, Raheem Sterling maybe to Real Madrid, maybe to Arsenal as well. But the rumours about players coming in, the two that have come up, Mark Cucurella from Brighton and Hove Albion, and here's the big one they're talking about, Frankie de Jong from Barcelona. Well, interestingly, Mark Cucurella, I hadn't heard this one, but would fit probably that style of football fantastically. He in particular is, I guess, in the position where Manchester City aren't uh, at their world-class best at left back. You know, uh, Alexander Sinchenko has been um, an excellent servant to the club and the way that he plays football and works hard. But is he world-class? No, I don't think so. Um, I think Cucurello is, is, offers more even the Pep Guardiola side um, at left back. Frankie de Jong's an interesting one. I don't think he'd come along. It's more likely they'd go for Calvin Phillips in my mind. Um, to, to, and this is, of course, this is the player that they'll be looking for, is a player to sit in that defensive holding position uh, to replace the outgoing uh, Fernandinho, which I think Calvin Phillips would be the perfect signing. He's English, um, you know, he's an Eng- and he's an England international uh, Frankie de Jong is great, but you know he's in that Barcelona team, and uh, it'd be hard to get him out of it. But that being said, he hasn't been he hasn't been the number one favourite in the Catalan at the Catalan club uh, since his arrival from Ajax a couple of seasons ago. So perhaps he could come uh, Manchester City's way. But they're looking to spend some money this year, that's for sure. Uh, the citizens, and I think their squad's going to be even more dangerous than it was this year. Um, no question. The next season. No question. A plus for mine. Yeah, agreed. We then go to Manchester United, who we predicted would actually kick on, finish third, get close to the top two. Probably the biggest disappointment, one of the biggest disappointments of the year, finishing sixth. And I gave them a D minus, but you've gone even harsher. No, an F. What a failure of a season for Manchester United. Now, it's a failure for Manchester season for Manchester United for really one count. This is the worst season that they've had in the Premier League in their history. They've never finished this low. They've never finished with this amount of points um, to their name. The style of football which they played was really poor. Um, and then they brought in Ralph Ragnick. Like, who? Like, everyone's like, oh, he's the godfather of football. And it's because of him that, you know, you have the likes of Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel. And it's like, well, then why is, why is Manchester United playing like Chelsea and Liverpool? But I just I just don't understand it. Um, they brought in Cristiano Ronaldo. I think he was a decent signing. He scored some key goals for them. But in... Saying that he also then took away the, I would say, the star confidence of Bruno Fernandez, because he wasn't the the number one player anymore. It's Cristiano Ronaldo. So, was it a good signing in the end from a club perspective? I'm not so sure. Paul Pogba non-existent once again. Defensively, they were awful. Rafael Varane. I said it at the start of the season. Everyone said that he was a world class defender. He is a world class defender. He's so good. He's very strong. 
but he was made look made to look even better playing next to Sergio Ramos at Real Madrid for so long. So realistically, I don't think I think there's better centre backs out there. Um, David De Gea was a dejected figure once again. He should be the captain of the club, and they just and then the signing of Jaden Sancho. I mean, what a waste of money! What a waste of money! Everything was bad about this. Uh, season and then to make matters worse their club captain in Harry Maguire was a meme for the whole season was genuinely a meme on just one account but on multiple accounts throughout the season I mean that for me is just a big F next to your name if you're a club of their stature finishing that low and and putting in those performances they were lucky to finish that that high in my personal opinion you have not held back on that at all have you you've (laughs) been waiting to do that I just they're so bad there's no excuse for them to be so bad and now looking at the transfers of what looks like it could be happening, they're apparently chasing Ruben Neves from Wolves. Jesse Lingard possibly making a permanent move to West Ham United. Paul Pogba looks like he's got, he's on the way out. He's either going to PSG or Juventus. And the only one for mine that, that looks like it could make any worth it. Oh, sorry, there are two other ones to mention. Nagolo Kante possibly coming from Chelsea. And here's one that they'd be stupid to let go of, is Dean Henderson to Newcastle United. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he couldn't get in front of David De Gea. Um, so, I mean, why wouldn't? Why wouldn't and he's Dean a class goalkeeper about... in his own right. I know. I know it's very difficult. I mean, this list is long, as it always is when it comes to Manchester United signings. Ruben Neves is the most likely player to come in. That seems to be a rumour that's not going away. And Paul Pogba surely got to go, um, either back to Juventus or potentially to um, Paris. The rest, well, you know... It's a it's a it's a lottery number. <laughs> who's going to which number? Who are they going to pick out? You know who's going to who's who's which? What's the uh, hand going to pick out of the hat? Right? I just don't I just don't know who they're going to sign and who they're going to what they're going to do this season. I think the the they've got the right people there in terms of quality, but I just don't think that they have the leaders there that can help them go to the next level. We then move on to Newcastle United. Predicted to finish 14th. I'll tell you what, they were set to underachieve that part halfway through the season. And then it happened and they finished 11th. There's only one word that needs to be said out of this. And it's the same word said three times, money, money, money. <laughs> well, the investment came in finally, didn't it, for Newcastle from that Saudi Arabian uh, emporium. Say what you want about uh, the injection of cash and where it's coming from for Newcastle and I myself have been a big advocate uh, against uh, the the way that this club has suddenly become the richest sporting entity in the world. But it has kept them in the Premier League for another season and under Eddie Howe, they were the second best team uh, in 2022 behind Liverpool in terms of points and results. They were uh, fantastic. Did they play a brilliant attracting football? Uh, attractive football, sorry. No, I don't think so. But Eddie Howe hasn't got the cattle there yet. Another underrated manager who I've once again said before should have got the England job before Gareth Southgate. I think with Eddie Howe there, England would have won a World Cup and a Euro um, because they would have played some attacking football and not sat back and and let teams uh, get the better of them in those big games. But and he's and he's once again, now he's got the whole season and whole off season to. Uh, Bring players in. I mean, I have no idea who he's going to bring in. The world's their oyster. Um, unfortunately, they have missed out on Kylian Mbappe, 
Uh, so Antoine Griezmann's uh, <laughs> Newcastle uh, manager season on the computer won't come true, but uh, they've got some cash there, and they've got they bought. I mean, they've already bought excellently in the January window. Who are they going to bring in to improve on this squad and potentially make them a uh, powerhouse of uh, of Europe in the next season or two? Well, I mean, there's a couple of names put down there, but really, it could be anyone because they've got that much cash power behind them, it, it's hard to see what's going to happen with it. If, if the report card for me was done at halftime, it would have been straight out F. But given <laughs> yeah, their form in the second half, given their second half performance, I've given them a B. I'm going with a C. I think C is fair. I still think, they, I mean, they finished 14th. I mean, that's not that great. That's, that, that's not, that doesn't work. You finished 14th and your club got bought by the world's, you know, and your club's now the richest uh, Club in the world, yeah. I think 14th. I think a C is fair. We then move on to Norwich City. This is going to be a very quick one. We predicted them to finish 20th, and lo and behold, they finished 20th. What <laughs> went well for them? I think we can easily say our prediction that Norwich would finish last went well. Yeah, they had nothing. They had nothing that went well. They were awful from the first whistle. I, at the start of the season, you will remember, if you listen to the bench uh, week in, week out, said that they will not win a game. They will not win a game all season. Hilariously, though, it was former Aston Villa manager Dean Smith's appointment which saw them get their first win um, and proved me wrong. But uh, it was a win that was few and far between for the rest of the season and uh, poor Dean Smith couldn't uh, uh, save this sinking ship which is Norwich, which once again came into the Premier League and are just yo-yoing back into the Championship because they put no investment into the squad. They didn't change cattle fast enough. And that, yeah, what else is there to say? They just, it just doesn't, there's not a Premier League team. It's just not a Premier League team. It is not, a, absolutely not a Premier League team. They deserve to go straight back down. And really, and unfortunately, they're just going to keep, because they're, they're an above-average championship team, they're a below-average Premier League team, and I think I could see them yo-yoing for some time. Yeah, I don't see that changing any other uh, anytime soon. We then move on to my beloved Southampton. The prediction came in for them to finish 12th. They finished 15th. Another one of those teams that actually had a mid-season spurt. It actually was looking pretty good. And then the finish to the season was just simply diabolical. Yeah, look, um, difficult again for Southampton uh, with the. I just think you know, you know, an issue as a fan, Caruso, you just don't have the depth. As soon as you lose a couple of key players, that's where it it kind of ends for you in terms of injuries and and you know the frailties at the back. Your your striking options are really poor. Let's face it, there's no one up front. For Southampton, you could safely say is Premier League quality. Che Adams, che Adams, che Adams and Shane Long are hard che Adams workers, quality, but he's not. But, a, he's, not, but he's not a striker. He's not a striker. He's a. He, he, you would play him. You'd play him as a predatory striker. Play him. You might play two up front. You play Che Adams in behind because what mm. he one thing he does have is an excellent exactly. motor on him. He'll run around that forward pack, that forward line yep. all but day. Big. So, but that's that's all he's good for. The fact that Southampton's best goal scorer was James Ward-Prowse, um, who, to be fair, has now cemented himself as one of the Premier players mm. in the Premier League and the best spot kick taker in the Premier League at the moment. No, absolutely not. There's no arguments there. And the other one for mine, I thought, was who, who actually did cover themselves in glory this year, was Kyle Walker-Peters. Yeah, he was pretty solid. I think the... Uh, uh... 
resurgence of Fraser Forster helped as well in um uh in areas for them. Uh, I think uh, McCarthy, Alex McCarthy just isn't isn't Premier League quality. He's not. He's not, but I'm right. You're right, though. I mean, they don't like they lack an out and out striker. The signing of Adam Armstrong was. I even I sat there and just going, "Hang on, what? <laughs> you know, you've just made you you just made a thirty million pound profit on selling Danny Ings to Aston Villa, and this is off fifty million pounds that we that we made on selling Virgil Van Dyke. Where's that money going? I'll tell you where it's going. It's gone straight back to um straight back to the academy." to try and find the next Gareth Bale. Now, that may be all well and good, but if we've got ambitions of being competitive in the Premier League, there needs to be some – we need to find someone and someone quick to get into that lineup. The yep. rumours are going around at the moment. The most, the two biggest names that have sort of popped up so far, Fraser Foster and James Ward-Prowse of Tottenham Hotspur. I don't see either of those happening. The most likely one for me, I think, is Theo Walcott, who looks like he is on his way to the US. The question is which club? Yeah, I don't know. And Theo's been a good uh, servant to the Premier League, but uh, I don't think he's going to have the journos uh, licking their lips over whether he goes, that's for sure. Not much else you can really say about Southampton's season. I'm going to give him a C-. minus. Ralph Hasenhutl, once again, really successful in patches, but then just... They all they just go missing in big blotches. Southampton win like ten games on the trot and then will lose ten games on the trot. I just can't understand it. No, absolutely. I give him a C minus as well. House and Hoodle's doing the best he can with this squad. They need Agreed. some investment. They absolutely need some investment. I I wouldn't be surprised if Hassan Hoodle eventually gets snapped up by a bigger bigger club. To be honest. So anyway, Tottenham Hotspur predicted to finish eighth. Actually finished fourth. Got into the Champions League. I gave him a B plus. Yeah, I, I I'd say I'd say a B uh, for them. Um, oh, you know what? B plus. Let's just go B plus. I'm feeling generous. Uh, maybe I've got a soft spot for Antonio Conte. Um, we all have a soft spot. Uh, Us Italians <laughs> always have a soft spot exactly. for Antonio Conte. <laughs> um, it was an indifferent season for Spurs. Obviously, um, obviously started off pretty. Uh, Dramatically, when obviously Harry Kane wanted to leave, he went wasn't allowed to leave. Um, so it took you know a good half a season for him to get going again, uh, which played I think real dividends for them in the back half of the season because I think he started to realise that he's going to be staying at Tottenham for a few more seasons. He's not going to get his gig to uh, Manchester City, um, and he's going to be staying at Spurs. He's going to be the captain. His combination with Song Hyun Min was a big. Um, uh, winning factor for them this season being that uh, they went on to be, I think, the most successful uh, Premier League partnership in in history, uh, combining now for, for assists and a goal, something like 41 or something like that, something absurd uh, between the two of them. So um, that was a real differentiator for them. Do they play great football under Antonio Conte? No. And it's interesting that the fan group and the media really got behind Antonio Conte and the way Spurs was playing, but hated it under Nuno Espirito Sanchez and also hated it under Jose Mourinho. And yet they're kind of still playing the same way under Conte, maybe just with a bit more, um, let's say, athleticism and, uh, and, and, and energy than they did under the two previous Portuguese managers. Uh, they did get into the Champions League, a big result for them. They're back there. They're knocked and doing so, knocking out their North London rivals in in Arsenal uh, and cementing them 
into the Europa League for another season. They've got a good squad there, Spurs. It'll be interesting to see what Antonio Conte does in the window. The signings of Benton Kerr and uh, Kuvasevsky was was excellent. I think they've picked up some really good talent there and they probably go back to Italy to raid a few of the clubs there. You would think Antonio Conte, especially Juventus, which seems to be uh, chopping and changing the squad um, left, right and centre uh, at, at this present state. Where do they go from here? I'm not too sure, but uh, they've got plenty of room to move now, but they are back in the Champions League and will be able to attract some quality players. We then move on to Watford. Again, not much to talk about here. They predicted them to finish 18th. They finished 19th. They're getting an F, and it's no less than what they deserve. This club is an absolute basket case, and the only good thing to come out of them this year was Emmanuel Denis, who, let's face it, he's on his way out of here as fast as you can blink. Yeah, um, I absolutely no sympathy for Watford. Their owners suck. Um, they've done nothing but just be a placeholder once again and taken up a position of another team. And they've brought in a new manager, of course, for the championship. They've brought in some like fourth division manager from somewhere in England, which is super duper weird. Um, I just don't understand what's going on uh, at Watford. Um, an F, obviously, for them. And uh, look, who knows what we see them in the Premier League in the following season, but uh, there's nothing to talk about in the one that's just gone by. We then move on to West Ham United, predicted to finish ninth, finish seventh. And uh, Dave, David Moyes has shown that last year's performance was no fluke. No, they did excellently again, West Ham, this season and uh, just fell by the wayside in the, in the sort of three-quarter mark part of the season and, and dropped a few points, which was disappointing for them. And they just couldn't go toe-to-toe with the bigger teams uh, in the competition. But once again, he'll improve on the squad. He'll bring in some players who are some uh, of quality, uh, particularly up front, up front. I think they need another option outside Mikolai Antonio, who is excellent, but they just need a li- little bit something something more there, maybe just a player who can come off the bench and provide an impact. I don't think they have enough consistency out of their their playmakers in side Ben Rama, uh, Pat, uh, Pablo Fornals and Manuel Lanzini. Don't really get enough out of those guys week in, week out. Thomas Suchek was quieter this season after his debut season following uh, uh, the previous uh, uh, years, and and also you know they didn't they weren't as resolute at the back in in certain games. Obviously, Declan Rice went to another level this year and is putting himself right up there as one of the best defending midfielders in the competition. They'll be hard pressed to keep him at the club this year, I reckon. But it looks like he wants to stay put for at least another season to see if he can push it to the Champions League with the Hammers. But in all in all, a good season for for um, uh, the men from East London. I'm going with a B, uh, a B for them. I've um, I've given them an A minus. I thought it was very impressive what they did this year. We should make mention as well that of course this is the last. This was the last season for their inspirational captain Mark Noble. Uh, a West Ham junior, a one-club man. You, you don't get players like this in the Premier League anymore. No, it'd be uh, difficult to to see someone like him come through the ranks uh, and play from start to finish um, in football in the Premier League once again. But uh, 
uh, an absolute club stalwart and uh, wish him all the best in his next adventures. The other thing to mention with regards to West Ham, very quickly, some of the transfer rumours, some of these quite interesting to see what, what's been discussed. And for mine, the two that I think could be really key to them for next year could be whether they get Jesse Lingard permanently from Manchester United and they are going after Ollie Watkins from Aston Villa. Yeah, an interesting signing. Um, obviously, Aston Villa aren't going to let Ollie Watkins go unless they've got a ready-made replacement for him. Um, I don't think they're going to want to chop Hopkins and keep Danny Ings as the point man. Ollie Watkins was better this season once again. Um, I know he's not loved by every single Villa fan, but I think he's a very, very good quality player, Ollie Watkins, and once again had another decent season. It wasn't as strong as probably the season before under Dean Smith, and I think that's probably to do a little bit with the way that Gerard plays and uh, his Aston Villa team, but I have no doubt that Ollie Watkins can adjust to that and be the, the number one man up front for Villa in the new season. But who knows? Perhaps uh, a trip uh, back down to London uh, is what uh, he'll want to do and play for a club that's going to be playing in Europe next season. So um, keep an eye on that one. And Jesse Lingard, well, that should be an absolute no-brainer. They should be throwing the kitchen sink at him. Well, look, he was obviously excellent for West Ham in that season where he went on loan to them and had a point to prove um, in the end. And, he did, uh, you know, exceptionally. But um, as mentioned, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, he'll be, you know, again, another player similar to the ones I mentioned previously who will provide them, you know, with, with a great outlet. But will he provide them with the consistency that they need to break into the Champions League? We then move on to the last team in alphabetical order. It is Wolverhampton Wanderers that predicted to finish 13th. They finished 10th. And they've adjusted fairly well to life after Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, Jose Sarr, absolutely brilliant in goals. I thought for mine, the goalkeeper of the year this year, especially considering that he was replacing Rui Patricio. Yeah, absolutely. They had a good season, Wolves. They had, you know, like I said, it was a tricky start, but the return of Raul Jimenez was, um, I guess, a good motivator for them in the end after his... uh, um, struggles with um, injury following that nasty um, concussion that he received uh, late the season pr- uh, prior. But they went on to play uh, pretty good football. The, the difficult thing for them now is to ask themselves, where do they invest in the squad? They are going to lose, you probably think, Ruben Neves, um, who's obviously been at the club for some time. Uh, Jose, uh, sorry, you know, Martino is uh, is definitely not getting any younger. He's already old when he first... <laughs> Jumped across to the Midlands. So the, the squad needs some investment. But in terms of this year, um, did really well. And finishing 10th is is no you know small feat in the Premier League. And again, the sides that finished above them, you'd say, well, fair play. That's probably where that they should be finishing uh, based on who they have in their squad. I gave them a B. What did you give them? I think a B is fair. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, with that, we have come to the end of our, of our wrap-up of... The 2021-22 English Premier League season. What a season it was. Congratulations to Manchester City taking the Premiership by a point over Liverpool. We're looking forward already to the rest of our footballing wrap-ups as we will be wrapping up over the next couple of weeks the rest of Europe and the A-League and possibly we may be able to fit in as well a bit of a discussion on where the A-League needs to go next in particular. 
I want to thank my good friend, Dom Rizzuto. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight. And you and I have got quite a few podcasts coming up over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, looking forward to it, Bull. And I will see you on the next show. Absolutely. That is full time here on Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, The Post, The Hornsby RSL, ISC Sports, and Business Plaza. On behalf of Dom Rizzuto, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. Thank you for joining us for Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. You can also find us streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcasts.com and all good podcast and streaming sites.